Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Digital Rise of Gen X. I'm delighted for today's episode and rightly so because I have a special guest among us. His name is Mr. Ari Bridge. Did I say that correct, Mr. Bridge? Bridge, S-H at the end, yes. Bridge, okay, okay. And he's the best-selling author of the book Lane Egg and Make a Chicken Soup. Mr. Brish is a veteran of corporate America. In fact, he has more than 30 years under his belt. Mr. Brish also has acumen, includes CEO and general manager board of director, manager and acquisition, business development, turnarounds, and change leadership role. Mr. Brish has worked with Fortune 500 corporations, entrepreneurial initiative, consulting engagements, and nonprofits. Today, Mr. Brish currently serves his global clients as a groundbreaker in growth strategies, commercialization of new paradigm, change leadership, and turnaround. Some of Mr. Brish's career highlights is growth strategies where he scaled business units revenue from $288 million to $710 million in four years, propelling market share from number four to number one. Join me today as we are ready to dive in with Mr. Brish's book, to uncover all the strategies, career pitfalls, growth, and so much more. Mr. Ari Brish, welcome to the Digital Rise of Gen X, and thank you for being with us. Well, thanks for having me, Jonas. Happy Wednesday, right? It's Wednesday today. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you so much. So without any further ado, I would like to jump in straight to the subject matter. And I would start my, my uh, interview by asking you a little bit about and overall about how did you start? When was your start? How did you get to get to where you are now? So just a little bit, you know, perspective so our audience get to know you a little bit more. Okay, well, that's a very good question, Jonas. Um, uh, throughout my career, if I, if I look back 30, 40 years, even back to high school times, uh, I, I like to tackle new stuff. Uh, and the book you mentioned uh, is also talking about the innovation and how to commercialize innovation. So that's kind of a, a trend that I started even in, in high school in choosing my sports in high school. Uh, everybody was uh, playing soccer. I chose uh, swimming just because it was <laughs> nobody did, did that in my hometown at the time, in, in my hometown <laughs> at the time. And so that, that's just one, one very early example. Right, uh, but uh, then you know, moving forward, uh, I've changed so many times, and, and each time I I took over something new uh, that was very new at the, mo- at, the, at, the, at the time. That just because of curiosity, uh, right? You know, I changed you know zigzag right. between right. Different, different industries, different jobs. Right, right, awesome. Awesome. So uh, uh, I would like we we're gonna stay in the same context. Uh, we I'll ask you about the mindset. I happen to be a big believer in building a strong mindset and a clear vision, especially especially for people who works in the entrepreneurial realm and in business in general. So and and I think that you agree with me. Uh, what we what do you think about the the. the how do you think uh, building a powerful mental aptitude is key to winning in business? That's an awesome, uh, awesome topic, Yunus. Uh, uh, I think mindset is very important in uh, the process of innovation. Uh, the, the, the most important thing is 
don't accept the status quo you know think out of the box and, and look right. for new things to, to do to solve problems and and i think that's one of the reasons uh, in many cases the entrepreneurs are younger people because their box is not so firm yet and, and, and uh-huh. you know they, they, they the the boundaries of the box of their box are, are, are more flexible so they kind of easy for them to think out of the box so to speak because the box is not so rigid right correct correct I completely agree I completely agree the the lack of experience also plays a major role in in not building that strong mindset so the more you you, you get older I think the better uh, you become stronger wouldn't, wouldn't you agree yeah so so there, there is a spectrum here where you know younger people they don't have a rigid box so it's easier for them mentally to come up with out of the box ideas so to speak right uh, on the other hand they, they don't have the experience to usually to anticipate all the challenges in making the idea uh, happen right. so you need kind of a, a mix of the two two skill sets one is, is being very creative the, the other one is being uh, very experienced to for the implementation and execution phase right 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 I mean I, I mean uh, failure is fatal uh, mm-hmm. a human being is very sensitive to failure mm-hmm. and that's a great segue to my next question is that I mean with your experience and with your uh, long journey in business in general Uh, what would you say uh, what what do you do normally personally have you been did you ever fail before and how did you recover from it I hate to tell you I don't, <laughs> I don't remember a major failure so to speak um, for myself I know other people that right. one of my friends you know started three startups that failed miserably his first startup he made 500 million dollars on the exit so you know he, le- he learned from three failures to to be to become super wealthy for himself for the rest of his life right so uh, apparently he learned you know something from all the different experiences yes you you do learn from experience even if you fail sometimes you know if you don't fail i think you, you haven't learned a lesson Absolutely. Uh, lessons uh, so sometimes and you see that on on venture capitals or investors when they when they uh, you know evaluate a new opportunity to invest uh, in in some cases they'll tell you that they want somebody the founders or somebody in the founding team to be a person that failed a couple of times and, and learned from that from those experiences I, I I completely agree I yeah I can see really well why why they can require such thing I mean yeah. failure yeah, it doesn't actually... mean you have to fail make yourself fail that's not <laughs> no absolutely not <laughs> no absolutely not no. Do, do you have any any personal experience you may share that's that shows how your mental you played you with your mental you shift your mental and you and you went and you uh, moved to from failure to 
a a victory or a, a winning situation? I, I took every job or every role I had in my past as a learning experience because every job I had was a new, totally something new. So right. uh, maybe that's why I can, I can say I, I never failed because uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, I learned on the job and, and you know, two or three or four years later, I felt so comfortable on the job that I looked for something new to do. New, right. Uh, that's the story of my career, taking right. something new every few years <laughs> and, and get my arms around it and enjoy the learning experience. And once I feel I'm too comfortable, <laughs> I was looking for something else. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I, I, I mean, I feel the same way. I've been doing a lot of things throughout my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I feel like every time the challenge stops, that's it. Exactly. The, the, that's it. You have to move on to something else. Exactly, we... exactly. You, you and I have had a very similar background <laughs> in that sense. If it comes three o'clock in the afternoon and I feel, okay, uh, uh, it's a boring day, that's the time to look. That's it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I completely can uh, resonate with what you're saying. Completely feel the same way. So uh, let me let me move on to to uh, to your book, Lay an Egg and uh, Make a Chicken Soup. By the way, guys, anybody who's listening, whoever wants to understand the, how a company is dissected and all the small pieces how they are put together into building a company and to making a successful company then you guys need to go and get this book lay an egg and buy and make a chicken soup it's an amazing book plus it's easy read it's full of research uh, material Uh, i'm telling you it's it's just great thank you for the book by the way mr ari well thanks for the kind words Yeah, absolutely. It's the truth. So before I ask you my question, let me just quote you from the book. It said, quote, start selling the chicken soup right after you lay the egg. Get ahead. Start preparing long before you plan to launch. Initiate your outreach activities six to eight weeks before the official launch date. Then keep the news going on beyond that date, end of quote. So I really happen to agree with what you're saying because that's exactly how the digital marketing world works also. It's like you have to build the pressure way before you 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 build your Facebook business manager and the paid ads and all that. So this is exactly the same way how things work. So uh, we are happen to be both page, the same page in here. So uh, I guess my question is, uh, would you mention a few of the best tips to successfully launch a product? So just so people may take uh, a few lessons here. Yeah, so, so I, I will take it even further, the comment I made about, you know, starting the, the marketing efforts a few months before to create the buzz and prepare the, the market acceptance of the product that has to do with the launch itself. Uh, in many cases, uh, the uh, effort started even before that, talking to customer, potential customers, trying to get feedback uh, on how this uh, product should look like or new service should look like. What are they looking for? What problems are they trying to solve? 
so you can define your new innovation in a way that people will accept it when you are ready to launch it. Uh, completely agree, yes. Yeah, yes. And, and I, I talk about it, by the way, in the chapter that talks about Salesforce. You know, people, uh-huh. people think about salespeople as just, you know, selling, 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 collecting purchase orders uh, every month uh-huh. and, and, and that's it. But right. when you talk right. about the innovation, the role of a salesperson, a salesperson is the face to the customers and also the ears with the customers. So the salespeople are the ones that uh, receiving on the customer's uh, wish list for future services and all the complaints about the existing products and what have you. So part of the salesperson job is to communicate all this feedback back to the headquarters or back to the factory or back to the office so you can plan for the next phase or the next uh, innovation or the next generation of your innovation. Right. Right, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, I, I came across what you mentioned there in the book, and you said, uh, and you talked about uh, the owner of Piggly Wiggly, Mr. Sullivan Goldman, yes. and how he, I mean, I was really stunned, frankly. I was very really stunned because the creative marketing and audacious marketing that he used, it was just amazing. You want to just uh, talk a little bit about that, what he did by... Uh, in his, in, to turn his store yeah. around? So, so this guy had a basically a supermarket back in the days and he realized that uh, and, and back then there was no shopping carts. People will go with their baskets and you know throw, in, throw into the basket whatever they, they are buying want to buy and right. basically the amount of purchases was limited by their ability to carry the, the basket, how heavy it is. So he said, okay, one way to increase how much people can purchase on a, one single trip to my store is by uh, removing that weight limitation and give them something that doesn't weigh that much. So he came up right. with the idea of, of shopping carts. So he, he, he developed a shopping cart uh, and put it in his stores, but that was not accepted very well initially. And, and this is uh-huh. a lesson learned. The reason, even though it makes sense today, you, you, you don't go to a supermarket without exactly. a shopping cart. But back then, there was resistance uh, because guys that went into the shop took it as an insult uh, for them, you know, like, uh, I'm, I'm a macho man, I can carry everything I need, right. I need this help. Right. So that was, right. that was the, the response of the guys, uh, the, the females shoppers, in many cases were mothers with small children, so uh-huh. they, they, they were pushing the baby you know, carts all day long. Exactly. So they, they kind of didn't feel comfortable pushing another cart in the shop. So the 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 two resistances from the two genders were totally unexpected and unreasonable. Uh, so he went through different advertising campaigns and what have you. And at the end, what he he did that made it happen for him 
he hired a few models to walk around the store with a shopping cart, pushing shopping carts and pretend to be shoppers. <laughs> and, and people started to mimic these models. So yeah. you know, think about, you know, you see a supermodel in a supermarket doing X, Y, Z, you, you try to check maybe maybe there is something there that I need to pay attention to. And, and that that by itself, you know, made the, the big difference for the shopping carts to be accepted. And, and later on, he, he made a career out of selling shopping carts to all the other supermarkets nationwide. Oh my God. Oh my God. That is amazing. That's just amazing. This is really some a creative, audacious marketing. Yeah, right. Like, so the, and now yeah, the lesson here is sometimes the resistance resistance to a new product comes from totally unexpected angle uh, that you need to find some creative ideas how to overcome exactly exactly and at the end of the day i think that's what marketing is all about is always be creative is always being in the mood of giving something new to the to the customer yeah, yeah and 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 kind of second guess or, or not second guess but maybe anticipate what motivate the people to to buy this new product in many cases the natural most people are risk adverse they let's say there are two types of people people that buy, will buy a new product just because it's new and they like to try new gadgets and, and then there's Correct. another group of people that resist you know they, they feel very comfortable in where they are and the same products they're using and, and they don't want to go through the effort of learning a new product on how to use it and blah 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 so right uh, you need to be able to market to both groups and, and some often di different strategies to to the people that to each group to each group yes correct that's true that is very true that is very true there is those groups that are very adapter the first mover adapter they are really easy to convince mm -hmm. and uh, the other group it's much harder it's always the, the case yes sir yep, yep, yep. yeah yeah and you, you need to understand the motivation of each one to market properly Properly, uh -huh. product that, or the innovation you're trying to launch. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I completely agree. I completely agree. I I would like to talk a little bit with you about. I, I found this concept that you mentioned in the book extremely interesting. I never heard of it. It's the linear competition versus the orthogonal competition. Yes. Could you just a little bit underline a little bit? Just give some. Uh, explanation a little bit about both both uh, concepts. Yes, so linear competition has to do with competing on the same level field. For example, my favorite example uh, is cellular phones in the 1990s. So the, the competition back then between the... And, and I used to work for Motorola at the time. The competition was two things based on battery life, weight, and and the number of, of this memory size or the number of phones or, or friends you, right. you can keep on, on in your memory. And there was a trade-off between these three. You, you could add battery, but then the, the telephone becomes too bulky to carry. So, so the, the trick was to minimize the battery and still get 
enough talk time that will satisfy people's need. So uh, all, all the suppliers competed on, on these two or three parameters. Nokia came once cell phones became so popular that every teenager had one. Nokia realized it's becoming uh, uh, almost an accessory and, and their innovation was to add color choices, color choice uh, to the telephone. So that's a vertical uh, competition where you add a parameter uh, that none of the other right. players are uh, addressing. And, right. and Nokia became a huge overnight success just by this one little feature that they allow all the teenagers to choose, you know, the cell phone based on the color of their shoes. Correct. Uh, so uh, the, the, uh, that's always a good way to compete because you basically are almost a, a monopoly at, at that at that uh, parameter. So if, if you're in a small town that has only one high-rise and, and you have a restaurant on the top floor of this one high-rise high and you have the best view in town, you, you are the, you know, the, the only restaurant with good view in town and everybody will come just for the view you, now you don't have sure. to you know worry too much about <laughs> the food and, and the menu because people come for the view not so much for the right food. true true absolutely true absolutely true so the, i read about how chrysler was able to actually to capitalize on uh, on uh, uh, building a new product mm -hmm. that happened to be needed in that specific time mm -hmm. and, and place mm -hmm. and they made big bucks out of it and the product was I believe the minivan correct correct so I see I, I applaud you for doing your homework by the way thank you <laughs> thank you sir so uh, uh, the book by the way the book covers innovation both in large companies and in small business or, or startups or entrepreneurship because some in some cases uh, the challenges are different so chrysler is an example of a, a large company challenge where the people with a new idea in this case it, it was a minivan came up to their management years before the minivan was launched and it took them several years to convince the company that this is a good idea if before that uh, if you remember uh, the kind of vehicle for family, long family trips was the station wagon, which mm -hmm. was uh, mm -hmm. kind of a True. sedan with a larger trunk at the back. True, yes. So, so the, the passenger's compartment are kind of the same as a sedan, but then the, the uh, luggage space is a little bigger. So the engineers in Chrysler said, okay, this is a family vehicle. Uh, the kids wants to stand up and, and you know, and no need to bend over when they enter the vehicle. So they came up with this minivan idea, which is basically just an elevated, elevated station wagon with, you know, a couple of feet taller than than the station wagon. And, mm -hmm. and they faced significant resistance by the, you know, corporate management. It took them, I don't remember, five or seven years just to have the project accepted. Later, eventually it became a huge success. Chrysler, if you remember, back in the 80s. Exactly. 
the, exactly. the, the huge exactly. success was the minivan. Yes. Another example, by the way, of orthogonal competition, because at the time when they, they were the only ones with minivan, there was no competition. If you, if, mm-hmm. if you wanted a minivan, Chrysler were the only ones to, 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 to buy it from. Provide you. Uh-huh. So the, the lesson here, by the way, is that orthogonal orthogonal competition, orthogonal differentiation, maybe for a limited time because the other competitors may start to copy you, like happened to Chrysler. The minivan sales boomed in the first few years, but then a few years later, uh, all the other vehicle suppliers started to offer minivans and, and Chrysler sales of minivans dropped uh, because people you know, had options to buy minivans from other suppliers. Right, right, right. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's fascinating. It's really fascinating how things can't change in, in the business just by uh, understanding really the market where he really needs. And I come across this on a daily basis in my own work uh, because, the, the, I mean, we do always, we say, first, understand, define your who, define your ideal market. That's, we, we always talk in this marketing, define your ideal market, who you want to do your business and what pain points do they have. Then you can go and give them the problem they need. Because yeah. without these two elements, and this this joins exactly what you were just saying right now. Yeah, and 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 you need to understand why the customers need. What's the problem? What's the customer problem you're trying to solve? Henry Ford said it uh, very well. He said, "If if I asked my customer, and that was 1900, beginning of the 20th century." If I ask right. my customers what they need, they will tell you I need a faster horse. Because Horses, yes. They yeah. didn't have an idea of, of having an, a motorized vehicle. But really exactly. what they needed is to be able to, to go from point A to point B uh, faster than riding a horse uh, allows. So that, you know, became the automobile. Correct. By the way, Henry, you, yeah. you ask about failures. People, most people don't know that Henry Ford failed two or three times before uh, he started the current Ford uh, company. Right, right, right. I mean, I think most of the major successful people who made it to the tops failed numerous times yes, before right. they... Yeah. Correct, so don't, don't yeah, give I mean, up if you fail. Right, and learn right, and, and right. Completely agree, completely agree. I also came across uh, this very, very interesting topic you mentioned, you, you talked about in the book, and it's relevant for me. You, you spoke about the startup, and you mentioned that in every startup, uh, there needs to be at least three strong skills represented by the management team. First, understand the ecosystem. Second, acquire the know-how. So if you're going to open a startup, you need to have the know-how and a solid financial model to follow. This is really, I, I loved it. Mm-hmm. So, so why do you think that a lot of, as you mentioned in the book, uh, based on uh, the Founder's Dilemma, the book on the Founder's Dilemma, that there is a high percentage of, uh, of founders who end up getting out of the company quickly after 
the company gets uh, public or anything like that. Why do you think there's there's so much high percentage of CEOs who who get out of their their uh, their companies that they found? Is it because they they don't have this combination of three skills, or is it because of lack of vision, or any, what what do you think? What do you take about it? Okay, so uh, what I've seen in many cases, uh, first of all. It's very rare to see a person that uh, will be capable of starting a business and then later on, if the business is successful, managing a business with 100,000 employees or 10,000 employees, it's it's different skill sets. So that's one reason is that in many cases when the startup goes to uh, you know, becoming a bigger company. In many cases, some of the founders will leave because they either don't have the skill sets or they don't like to work for a bigger company. So if, if some bigger company acquired my startup and, and I don't like to right. work for a bigger company, right. I leave at some point. Or, or just if the company went public and grew and became very large, sometimes uh, in many cases, the founder or the CEO founder will leave because their skill set doesn't match the, the new culture or the new size of the company. The one type of uh, people living. The other type I found you know, through the history, through my career is uh, technical founders, the chief technology officer. In many cases, they leave when the technology challenge uh, is not there anymore. So they enjoy inventing the technology. They enjoy inventing the technology. Maybe they enjoy managing the R&D process. But once the innovation of the job is uh, behind them, I, I saw CTOs living just for less pay. Right. It's opportunity just because they don't feel challenged anymore. Challenge, right, 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 right. So, in in your experience, I mean, this is such an important topic that we may have to do a special episode just for startups because it's just there's a lot to talk about in it. So, in your experience, what would you say one thing that can be a killer to a startup? What what's some ingredients that needs to be in order for success of a startup? You know, killer in a positive way or killer in a, in a negative way. Kill the startup. Or... Yeah, killer. No, no, killer in a bad way. That means that's something that can kill it, and that's it, and get bankrupt or okay. you know close okay. its doors. Okay, I understand. Um, again, looking back, there, there was few common threads in in the ones that haven't succeeded. One, the big one is. Uh, failure to execute. Okay, I'm gonna take a note of this. (laughs) Failure to execute, uh, it sounds simple, but it it could be for two reasons. One, uh, the the founders of the startup don't have the experience, uh, uh, the execution experience, and we talked about it at the beginning. So I've seen many, many, many founders realize that they don't have the experience and they partner with experienced 
mentors or advisory board of some sort that will you know be just a check and balance of uh, the execution challenges and the execution planning and managing the execution so many startups today will have an advisory board of people 20 30 years older than the people inside uh, that will kind of tell them wh- what to look for where they're going to making mistakes or, or hitting a roadblock so th- this is one one failure the the other big part uh, may be on the financial side okay uh, it kind of overlap with the execution but uh, in some in many cases if you don't raise enough money to fund uh, your journey or to fund your startup or your business uh, and you run out of money before the next major milestone Basically, managing a, a small business is like managing a bank account. You, you, when you run out of money, you, you're out of business. It's not like in a big company, when you go over budget, you know, you get a slap on the hand, and, and but you, you right. deep enough pockets to move move forward. If right. You went over budget. In a small business, if you go over budget, you're dead because you're, that's you're, true. You're totally dependent on your your cash that's situation true. in your bank. Account. Yeah. That's true. Absolutely. I completely agree. Yes. Uh, uh, I would like to move on to something else. And uh, this this question, I was waiting for it for a long time to ask you. It's like when I when I read your bio, it's like I said, gee, how the hell? How on earth? I guess you know what I'm going to ask you. So that's so, uh, the killer question. I hope I won't fall for my... <laughs> so... Obviously, growth strategies is one of your strengths. So how on earth did you scale a business unit revenue from $288 million to $710 million in four years? I mean, is what was it training the sales force, adding value to the core product, putting more money into ads and marketing? What was that special thing that you were able to put your hands on, lock in, and then everything was become much easier? Yeah, okay. So... Back then, the, there were three ingredients that fueled uh, that unbelievable growth. One of them is, uh, we talked about it before, uh, a system or a process of new product planning. And, and by the way, before I became the manager of, of the, that business unit, my, responsibi- my responsibility was product planning so I created the, the process of uh, getting uh, customers inputs uh, for new products and, and the process of you know filtering all the inputs and and the decision making process of w- which ideas to adapt and start an R&D effort to create a new product so during those days we during my tenure as a product product planning manager uh, uh, we did like 40 new products in I think less than two years so basically one what is it almost one new product per month and okay. every new product open up new business for, for for the business unit so that was 
one one ingredient in the success the other ingredient and, and that's another thing uh, a lesson learned for uh, i talk about it in the book is uh, how to motivate sales people sales people okay. that selling uh, mature products they go into the customer once a month or once a week take the purchase order for you know replenish the inventory and go back and collect a commission at the end of the month and, and the, the job is pretty routine and, and you don't have to spend mm -hmm. much time in getting this next month's purchase order. In the case of new products, it, it takes much more time to uh, educate the customers uh, about the new concept or the new product and, and handhold the customers and sales, the time the salespeople have to spend on new products is so much greater than uh, mature products that in many cases salespeople that are on commission only they shy away from supporting new products because on a new product they you know once a month they go in get a big purchase order and, and go back you know to the office where a new product right. uh, they have to spend hours and hours and hours to get purchase order for one sample so yes. you need to create a, a totally different motivation system for salespeople uh, for promoting new products. Ah, I That's see. something we did at the time that uh, in many businesses failed to do because of, of this simple commission-based formula that demotivated okay. salespeople to promote new products. Okay, I completely, I completely resonate with what you're saying. I was pharmaceutical rep in the past, uh, more than 20 years ago, and uh, and uh, I did launch a new product, and we had to put so much energy into it, and so much power, and so much persistence that it was really uh, unrealistic. And you, you completely right. So yeah, I mean, you probably... did they have a, a different motivation system for new product? Yeah, I think I think if I remember well, they they uh, they have a good. If you reach the goal of sell, then you can get a better bonus on it, but not much, not much. It was a, just a good bonus. They they put a, uh, they link a good bonus to it at the end. So it's true. But I mean, yeah, I completely identify with what you're saying because it's it's uh, I experience it at a personal level. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm um in order to make to make things uh, a little bit uh, enjoyable, and I don't want to hold you too much. I'm just gonna try to to get your idea about what you're reading currently. So, uh, what do you think two or three books that really changed your life, besides your book? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, uh, I, personally, outside of business, I, I, I like spiritual books and, and, and history books. So, okay. when, when you read a business book, sometimes you don't read it as a you know, from A to Z or chapter one to chapter 20 as, as, a, as a book, you uh, look at a, a business question you have for yourself and or for a client and you start to research and, and you may find a solution or integrate a solution from looking into, you know, 10 or 10 or 15 books 
each one suggests a different approach to, to the same problem. And so the, the way I read books, uh, it's not so much about reading, but more about research, uh, specific specific topic. So I, I uh, cannot answer this question as this is a book I read. I, Right, right. Okay, okay. No problem. Do you have a a a, a book that you think it's it's uh, it's good for entrepreneurs? A book that you prefer that you may come across for entrepreneurs? Um, I'm looking at now at my bookshelf. Okay. <laughs> Most of the books uh, take one one aspect and, and really dive deep. Hello, Mr. Ari. So, so can you hear me now? Yeah, I hear okay. you. So mo most of the business books dive, deep dive on, on one particular topic. The, what differentiates my book from many is the fact that it touch on all, all the topics, but doesn't go too deep on each one. So every chapter in my book has probably other books that just cover that chapter. Uh, so... Uh, you need to buy 15 or 20 books to cover what I cover in my book, but each book right. each book goes deep into that uh, topic. So uh, it's more a question of, okay, I need to specialize just on the marketing aspect, so I'll, I'll buy a marketing book. But if I want to be, to cover all the bases uh, with one book, uh, that's my book. So depends, depends, yeah. and, and that's not good or bad. Depends on what you need as a, the person that is going to read the book or what you buy exactly. yourself. Yeah, it depends about what your needs are. If your needs are in sales, then you need to go to sales. If your needs are in marketing or anything else, yeah. you need to go to sales. I have books here on just a certain country or just a certain aspect of not even all marketing, but just one aspect of marketing and, and so on right exactly exactly i completely see what you were saying so uh, before i close the, this interview which i happen to love thank you so much for doing it uh, i really look forward for another one in the future so uh, I, i mean you have such a lengthy experience what would you say for people who are in their journey, what would you say that one specific skill that you think you wish you had when you just started? Or maybe a skill that you think it's very, very relative as of now? So I think the, the most important skill for the future business is uh, being flexible and adaptable. Because the, the okay. changes in the market are becoming uh, more frequent as we move forward, you know, you could, 50 years ago, my, my dad used to work for the same companies all his career. And exactly. Very, very exactly. well uh, with it. Uh, today, you, you don't find a, a person that works 
No, no, that's it's over. It's and and over. the the industry changed. Like in your in your field, for example, digital marketing. Uh, you talk to a marketer twenty years ago, there was no digital marketing. So if you are a marketing exactly. person and never never educate yourself how to leverage digital marketing into your marketing mix, you're going to be the, the dinosaur very quickly. So ah. You need to be adapt absolutely adaptable and flexible to acquire new skills. <coughs> even even if you stay in the same industry, if you stay in the same discipline, you still things are changing so quickly that you need to continuously learn. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I, I I feel very strongly about what you're saying because I wrote an article. I put it on my on my blog, and. I, I spoke exactly about this specific point, how how the industry has completely shifted, and now uh, look, Uber is taking over taking over a uh, business that existed for the last 200 years, taxi and limousine. I mean, you just can't. You, that that's it. Those stable jobs that people think they used to have and they're gonna retire and after they retire they put their kids in instead of them and all that this is all past yeah yeah, yeah. my my the principal of my kids school they are adults by now but uh, you know 20 years ago she said that their challenges features is to educate the kids for a job that doesn't exist yet so oh my god beautiful yes. back then that things are changing so fast that by the time the kids will graduate the, the job industry the job market will be so different than what they learn in school absolutely absolutely we we couldn't close this conversation better than what you just said uh, i mean teach the kids to to be adaptable that's it's just a perfect, perfect closing. Uh, I would love to close with this question. How people can find you, contact you, or buy your book? How how people can get you? Okay, so the easiest way is on my website. Not just for the book, but all the other material. There are lots of free downloads on my website. So the website is okay. cxo, the letter O, 360, the number zero, dot net. So cxo360.net and uh, there is a link for the book but also lots of downloads, free downloads and papers and blogs and uh, Excellent. interviews. Excellent. So, so lots of free material and also the link to buy the book. The book available on all the major bookstores, obviously Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million and so on and so forth. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Mr. Ari, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for responding to the invitation and uh, hopefully we can do it sometimes in the future. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks for having me, Yunus, and looking forward to the next opportunity. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Have a great Bye. day. Bye-bye.